1: We'd like to thank The Great Courses Plus, Stamps.com, Indochino, and Blue Apron for sponsoring our show tonight. Please remember that supporting our sponsors helps support
2: the show, and we really appreciate it. You can also support us at Patreon.com slash Astonishing Legends. So we're recording the show on the 15th anniversary of 9-11, and I just wanted to take a minute to acknowledge the people who died that day. While my wife and I weren't there on the day it happened, we did move to New York City just five days later on the 16th. It was a plan that was already in place, and we wanted to see it through. Over the years, we came to know many people who lost loved ones that day, and the impact of it for them was obviously profound. I selfishly hope I'll never be able to relate to that kind of loss. As quiet as the city was in those days following the attack, and I mean quiet, for example, I'll always remember that no cab, car, or truck was blowing its horn on the streets of NYC for at least a week. It might have been a little longer. It was, to invoke an overused word, surreal. New Yorkers were united in their grief and solidarity, and experiencing that firsthand was something I'll never forget. To this day, it's still very difficult for me to come to terms with, and I was just an observer. But there's still a core feeling of disbelief for me, a feeling of disgust and pervasive sadness that surrounds the events of September 11th. And it still touches me deep down inside at my core. I'm not trying to make it about me. It's about those who lost their lives and their loved ones. And it's almost become a cliche of some kind, but I'm happy to go on record and say how in awe I am of the first responders who sacrificed their very lives that day just to try and save one more person. The men and women who looked at two of the tallest buildings in the world on fire and severely structurally damaged and ran into them. If that's not the definition of a hero, I don't know what is. Welcome back to Astonishing Legends. I'm Scott Philbrook, and this is Forrest Burgess.
1: Haven't you ever had a dream? Billionaire Robert Bigelow current owner of Skinwalker Ranch and Bigelow Aerospace in an August 24th, 1999 Reno Gazette Journal interview after he was asked why he would invest hundreds of millions of dollars into space
2: travel. Join us tonight for the final part of our series on the Skinwalker Ranch. All right, so here we are the last part of this series which I got to be honest, I'm a little sad about. I feel like you could easily do 15 episodes just on Skinwalker Ranch and the implications of all the things that are going on there. Yeah. Well, what a long, strange trip it's been.
1: And I feel kind of bad because there is so much other material that we could have explored, but it is kind of tangential. And this one, we've had a few comments that it seemed to be all over the place. But we want to stress, and and somebody left a nice message on our webpage about the episode and that uh, they liked the show generally, but they felt we were bouncing all over the place. And this one was really hard. We we mentioned this in part two. It's kind of hard to nail down into a cohesive narrative because it's a bunch of incidents. Yeah, and it doesn't care
2: if it makes sense as a story.
1: No, that's one of the things that we're going to go over in our conclusions is even with the scientific team that studied this phenomenon and this location, none of it made sense. Yeah. None of it was really classifiable in a standard way, which made it so hard to study using the scientific method, and in turn makes it hard for us to give a linear narrative on this thing. So. We hope we've done a good job. And really,
2: again, listening to people tell stories, I love the anecdotes. That's what I want to hear about. Oh, and just very quickly, some people had written in they were having issues with images on our website. We have finally gotten to the bottom of that. And by the time this show airs, it should be fixed. So for you guys out there who are visiting the website and not seeing the pictures... I'm predicting it will be fixed by the time this show airs on Wednesday. Ah, excellent.
1: Wednesday.
2: Yes. All right. Let's recap where we were at yes. before. When we left off last week, we mentioned at the end of the show the current owner of the ranch, a Las Vegas billionaire named Robert Bigelow. Robert T. Bigelow, who had made his fortune in Budget Suites of America. Yes, and other real estate deals. Yeah. He was actually a pretty savvy guy. He grew up in Vegas. In fact, when he was a kid in Vegas, he's in his 70s now. Yeah. Vegas was not what it was. He lived through the mob building Vegas (laughs) into into what it eventually became. He came to the realization that everybody that lived there was living on tips and had (laughs) cash. And he thought that he could build some budget weekly rental hotels that the people who worked in Las Vegas could take advantage of. And that was the beginning for him. That was the beginning of that empire. And eventually he expanded into Arizona and New Mexico. And a lot of people thought, in the business world, apparently, that it wasn't going to work outside of the Vegas model. Right, but it did, yeah. and he continued to buy property, and he did very well. and In 1999, anyway, he claimed that he was worth 900 million dollars, oh, but the real yeah. figures put it closer to 750 million, which in today's dollars, 750 would be just over a billion. Well, there you go; he's into the club. Yeah, yeah. so he's a billion with the B. Here's the thing about him: we're going to talk a lot about him tonight. He has. More than a passing interest in not only space and space travel, yes, but also in the paranormal. And, it, and in all phases of and aspects of the paranormal. Yeah, exactly. He has an interest in UFOs. He has an interest in the other side. He lost his son, mm. tragically, when he was very young. I think in his 20s, his son yeah. passed away. And then his grandson died from a drug overdose. Right. And so it's thought that he has... Taken steps to maybe try to figure out if there's a way to communicate with these guys that have passed. Now, before you say, "Okay, well, this guy's crazy," (laughs) he's also highly, highly intelligent. There's certainly plenty of eccentric billionaires. That just seems to go over the territory.
1: But I think a lot of this, as we're going to see tonight. Because he's so reclusive and uh, he doesn't give many interviews, I think there's maybe just one or two. There's uh, only a few. Yeah. Yeah, And and we have some
2: old newspaper articles that the ARC dug up, specifically Marie, who was so great at that. Yeah. He did used to talk. But he kind yeah. of stopped. We're going to discuss why, because
1: there's reasons that you may want to, and there's many more reasons why you may not want to, just because of the uh, public opinion. So – and then when you don't say anything, that just adds fuel to the fire that, oh, he's got something to hide. Right. It reminded me of in the Coral Castle episode, the old Tom Waits song. It's like, what's he building in there? Yeah. Because, yeah, like, people are intensely curious. And then if you don't tell them, well, obviously you're doing some nefarious
2: work that you want to keep hidden. It's great that you bring that up because this guy really could easily be perceived as the Billionaire characters that we made reference to in the earlier part of the series (laughs) from Prometheus and also Contact, these benefactors who have an obsession with space or meeting their maker or what have you.
1: Yes, and I forgot to mention this last time. Now, we have some fans, and I've been just getting into it just because we have so many of our fans crossover to the podcast from the Pacific Northwest Stories folks. yes. Tannis and the Black Tapes, and so oh, you know what? That does sound a little bit like Doctor Richard Strand, this mysterious kind of a veiled character. But he's kind of a debunker and fictional, yeah. <laughs> as far as I can tell. But he also, at least on the show, is up to where I've gotten. He does offer a million dollar reward to anybody that can prove to him that the paranormal, any aspect of the paranormal, is real. So I think they may have gotten that or inspired by. The Amazing Randy. Right. Remember, we talked about that. Yes. will give you a million dollars. Who gave
2: an award, his own version of the Darwin Award, to Bigelow for buying Skinwalker Ranch.
1: Oh, (laughs) because he thought it was
2: foolish. He thought it was foolish. Well, he's kept his million dollars
1: so far, and uh, whether the ranch was a foolish purchase or not, we're going to discuss tonight, because we're going to kind of discuss the conclusions and findings of NIDS. Well,
2: for one thing— Bigelow only paid two hundred thousand for it. Yeah,
1: it's a bargain. It's not bad for four hundred and eighty
2: acres and you know, he probably makes that every five minutes anyway. So
1: (laughs) right. It's a lot of land. Not a bad investment, and the Shermans got their market value out of it. Yeah, and
2: it has access to other dimensions. <laughs> well, that's something that comes in handy. Although you do lose a few calves. Um, yeah, and, talk uh, about yeah. complicating your ranch management, having your yeah. animals wander off into other parallel dimensions.
1: Well, I'll try and explain that to the insurance guys. <laughs> you know, get your money
2: back. There's a few more really fascinating anecdotes. There's a ton of them from the Hunt for the Skinwalker book that I just was blown away by. And again, if you're interested in this story, you really need to get that book. It's a great book. It's by George Knapp of Coast to Coast fame, an investigative journalist, and Dr. Colm Kelleher, who is a microbiologist who was involved in a scientific investigation at the ranch, which we're going to talk about here back in the late 90s, early 2000s. So there were four stories in particular of encounters or events that happened on the ranch that we both felt were really compelling. And we're going to share those tonight throughout this final part of the series. And right now, what I wanted to talk about was what chronologically I think was one of the first incidents. And this one has so many fascinating details. So after a while, word was starting to get out about the ranch. It was – It took a while. Yeah. Yeah, because not many people knew about it. Yeah, and the stories were traveling in certain circles. The internet was in existence. It's not as insane as it is now, but it was – you certainly could have found information about it way back then. And people started showing up at the ranch. Keep in mind, this is
1: people outside of the area, like local persons who study this phenomenon as a layman or just a private citizen, like Joseph Jr. Hicks – he says half the town has seen stuff going on. So everybody in the towns around there, the little bergs and hamlets, already knew that this place was strange. And if yeah. you go back even further, the Utes, of course, this is the path of the Skinwalker, stay away. So now we're talking about outside people that want to come in and poke around and want to get to the bottom of things that they've heard about.
2: Right. So in 1996, this guy shows up at the ranch, drives all the way onto the ranch, up to the house, yeah, that's, that's what you don't want. Yeah, it's inappropriate. <laughs> and it's also yeah. kind of dangerous with, can
0: get shot. Oh, you don't do, <laughs>
1: you, no, no, yeah, you don't uh, do that kind of up north there. Because, yeah. Because uh, they will shoot at you, near you. Yeah. And uh, it's just a big taboo. But you technically do. you're trespassing. Yeah, of course. You're if going you're, through, you're especially going, if you're uninvited. There's gates there. I mean, there is now, of course, and we've shown one photo of it. Also, Ryan Skinner, who's also wrote a great book that we just mentioned, Skinwalker Ranch, No Trespassing. And he's got like several others after
2: that, which are great. But check out his website. We'll have a link to it, skinwalkerranch.org. He has more current information because the Knapp Kelleher book leaves off in the early 2000s. And Skinner has written material from that point up until now and is doing ongoing investigations not only at the ranch but at other properties in the United States that seem to exhibit similar phenomena.
1: Yeah, it's very thorough. If you want to, it, it's your one-stop shop there to go and get everything you want to know about Skinwalker and then, and then branch off from there. So, right, um, so
2: the guy yeah. drives up. It's a large guy. I guess he's like 6'2". He's got blonde hair. He climbs out of his truck and he says to Terry, that he had heard about the ranch and that he had come to meditate on the land. (laughs) So Terry's out there with his son, and I guess he reluctantly agrees to let this guy come onto the property. So they climb into his truck, Terry and his son, and this hippie. So This big hippie. (laughs) Yeah, the big hippie. So they drive back into the ranch. They're driving. They go about a mile, and they come up on this field. And the guy says, stop. I want to go out there into that. He's getting a good vibe. Yeah, he's getting a good vibe. So they stop the truck. The guy gets out. He walks out into the field about 90 feet, or 27 meters for you imperialists. We had some people (laughs) requesting. (laughs) Oh, really? Okay. (laughs) But he gets out into the field. He's standing in the field, holding his arms out like Christ the Redeemer, the statue in Rio. Yes. And as he's standing out there, he starts to meditate. Terry's standing back from him, about, I think, 30 feet or so, something behind this him. This is really nice of him to take his time out of his day to go let this guy,
1: yeah, you know, stand do his in the thing. field
2: sure. and meditate. Yeah. So the guy's standing out in the field, meditating for a few minutes. And then Terry hears something unusual coming from a copse of trees. <laughs> He
1: just had to work in cops. Yeah. Okay.
2: Well, uh-huh. I like it too. So, yeah, yeah. you were intro it, And I, frankly, I got it from Kelleher. He wrote it in there <laughs> in the book, in the Hunt for the Skeleton. It's a stand, the tree. And I line. loved it. I had yeah. to look it up. He hears this bell and he thinks, huh, that's odd. I've got over two dozen cattle. Not a single one is wearing a cowbell. Oh. So, he doesn't really know what it is. So, the man's still standing in the field. And then Terry hears the sound again. More, cow- cowbell. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. okay. more cowbell exactly yeah. more cowbell but the meditator the hippie he didn't seem to hear it uh. then Terry noticed something in the trees something moving up in the high level of the trees and the upper branches we couldn't make out what it was but it seemed like it was jumping from tree to tree that is unusual
1: because uh, we don't have animals. We're not like in the jungle. That. No, yeah, no, this is I the mean, desert. In the in New England, you might have a, a Fisher cat, which is kind of like a wolverine, and sometimes they'll climb up in the trees. Yeah, you might have owls, eagles, even, but right. uh, no monkeys, baboons, nothing that jumps from tree
2: to tree. Really, that that's it's that big. But he's starting to get concerned. It's like, uh oh, here comes a ranch special, <laughs> and then this thing, <laughs> yeah comes out of the trees and is making a beeline for the meditator. Yeah. Who still hasn't noticed it. Well, I'd be annoyed too. But the problem is, Terry can't see it. He can see that it's there, but he can't really see it. That's right. And it's like this large animal that seems to be bounding across the field towards the guy who's meditating. But it's partially invisible. And he and his son described it as looking almost exactly like the Predator did in the movie Predator, the alien, when he would turn on his camouflage. Right, his masking tape. They saw that movie much later. And I guess when they saw it, they were watching it with yeah. Gwen. And they both said, that's it. That's what we saw. Oh,
1: yeah. God. <laughs> yeah. without, so, without
2: the dreadlocks. Yeah, without yeah. the dreadlocks. So this thing is running across the field. And then it stops right in front of the hippie. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it lets out the loudest, deepest, most frightening, guttural roar that you could possibly imagine. (laughs) Terry said it shook him to his core. Wow. The meditator jumps backward and falls down onto the ground. And as quickly as that thing came out, it then ran back into the trees. They still don't know what it was, yeah. but they saw it. The guy is freaking out. He's panicking on the ground. Right. Terry goes over to him and pulls him up. He's acting like when someone panics when they're drowning and yeah, the rescuer go gets, go gets there. Right. Yeah, yeah, and it, the guy jumps up and is hugging him. This is a big guy screaming into his ear. He's like, oh, you know, and, <laughs> and Terry says to him, if you don't let go of me, I'm going to hit you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when yeah. apparently the guy says... I will let go of you if you take me back to my car right now. Yeah. And so he agrees. They get in the truck. They leave. He takes him back out to the homestead where the man's truck is. The man gets in the truck and tears off down the driveway, yeah. driving unsafely <laughs> to get off the land. And I think Terry thought, yeah. thankfully, that that might be the end of people stopping by. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, because they each have to go and have their own experience. Yeah. Uh, but no good meditation goes unpunished.
2: I mean, and whatever this thing was, they don't know. Yeah. It's a giant man-eating beast from another dimension with high-tech camo. <laughs> <laughs> right. I don't know why yeah. it didn't eat the guy, though. And this goes to your rules. Why didn't you well, nothing happen? It just yelled at him. Yes,
1: it's a shade. It's not like it's an, actually an animal even trying to scare this guy. We don't know, okay? Right. But that camouflage image has been described in several different unconnected accounts by people. You've heard of the, the technology now that the army is developing as yes, well. The, uh, with DARPA, I believe, yeah. What the deal is, is that you have cameras, they're on your back. On the front of you would be a material that could act like a projector screen or like a TV screen. So it's projecting what's behind you. Right. And that's what people describe how it looks then if you move around a little. It's not totally seamless. You're not totally invisible. But you do look like the predator because what, it's catching up to whatever the cameras are capturing directly behind
2: you and projecting that. In the book, Callaher, who I'm presuming wrote this section, but in the book he describes it as being similar to a shimmering heat yeah. If anyone's ever taken a road trip, you know when you're out in the desert or you, you have that long freeway and you look down, you can see sort of a liquidy
1: yeah, uh, so shimmer it, on yeah, the road, way yeah. down
2: the road. That's what he described it as as well. There's been descriptions of people seeing even a lot of these black triangles
1: with a similar kind of cloaking device. Even a woman reporting that, she said, I swear it looked exactly like Star Trek with the Romulan cloaking device when they kind of come in and it's like, whoo, and it's kind of wavy and it does like— A like, bird of prey. Yeah, like what you just described. It disappeared from view like that. It came into view suddenly, yeah. a massive craft, maybe 200 feet long, and then it disappeared the same way. So that's not an uncommon description. Well, we don't know what this thing was. We don't. It could have been a projection. Well, I mean, look at the uh, the Hunger Games. They have uh, digital big animals that they sent after people playing the game. Yeah. Is it something like that? Meant to spook this guy, like whoever's doing this saying like,
2: hey, watch this. This will be funny. Here's the thing about it, though. The meditation seemed to trigger it. And that's yeah. going to come up again in a major way. Yeah, and we, t- we
1: talked about this in part two, in connection with crop circles. Yes. They've
2: noticed that there's some kind of mental, uh, connection. physical connection. Yes. What was it about the meditation that caused this thing to appear and also made it angry? You but, have to wonder, yeah. what is the creature trying to prevent from happening?
1: Yes, or, as I've increasingly come to believe... I think it was a prank. Yeah. To scare the crap out of this big, tall, meditating hippie guy. Yeah. It was one thing to get off my territory. And I could certainly see that with a skinwalker type of apparition, owing to the legends, old, ancient, and contemporary. You don't belong here. I don't want you doing your thing, peaceful or not, chanting or not, whatever you're doing, get out of here. And I'm going to scare you off of here. Or it's the other vein – Going back to the trickster element, which is this will be a hoot. Let me scare the crap out of this guy. Yeah, and you because know, it is, it is comical. What happened is? Well, yeah, he kind wasn't knocked. He wasn't knocked over. He didn't have scratches. It wasn't like Greyfriars. He's got handprints on his neck. or thing. Yeah. It just ran up to him and let out a giant roar, and this guy nearly soiled himself. To whatever's doing these pranks, these prank like things, I'm sure that was hilarious.
2: Okay, it's time to take a quick break for one of our sponsors. You know, I'm one of those people who just likes to know things, whether it's about history or science. Or a mysterious plot of land in Utah that is prone to unexplained phenomena. Exactly. When something draws my curiosity, I want to dig down and understand the mechanics. Learning is a way for me to relax, really. And that's why I'm a big fan of The Great Courses Plus. If your mind is hungry,
1: The Great Courses Plus is like treating it to a buffet. They offer truly engaging video lectures presented by award-winning professors and experts in their fields. Very knowledgeable. And with The Great Courses Plus, you get unlimited access to hundreds of topics. History, science, art, food and cooking, better living. The Great Courses Plus is also convenient. Watch anywhere, at any time. Start and resume again from any device—mobile phone, tablet, laptop, or TV. If you're waiting for a flight or a doctor's appointment, just log on and explore. Right. So remember last week when I rattled off all the really interesting titles from the series Heroes and Legends, The Most Influential Characters of Literature? Well, I'm up to a lecture called Sherlock Holmes, The First Great Detective. And other than helping to misname the Mary Celeste as the Marie Celeste in the public's mind forever in his short story, Doyle wrote for Sherlock a great line which has stuck with us and might apply quite a bit to a lot of our own episodes. When you have eliminated all which is impossible, then whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth. I'm pretty good, huh? Yeah. Uh, except my problem is that I'm not sure what's impossible anymore.
2: Well, what is possible is that our listeners are free to explore The Great Courses Plus on their own and enjoy it as much as we do, and try it out risk-free. The Great Courses Plus is giving our listeners a special offer. Get an entire month of unlimited access to all of their lectures for free. It's obvious you enjoy the same things as
1: we do, so we know you'll love The Great Courses Plus. So don't wait. Start your free month today. Go to the Great Plus. .com/legends remember the slash
2: legends all right let's get back to it so we talked about the meditation event and how that creature came out and really scared the pants off of the yeah, seemingly the guy. one of
1: hundreds of different types of
2: characters yeah but what this belies is the fact that word is getting out about the ranch And the word has gotten out to Robert Bigelow. From a newspaper article. That's right.
1: That we mentioned, yeah.
2: Yeah. Bigelow had actually, just prior to his acquisition of the ranch, created a group called the National Institute for Discovery Science, or NIDS for short. He was convinced that there was something to be gained by conducting a thorough scientific evaluation of the paranormal, and he had the funding to make sure it happened. And it happened with all the right procedures. Now, herein lies a big controversy. Shortly after NIDS was created... Bigelow bought the ranch. He bought it for $200,000. It was a short flight from Vegas by billionaire jet plane. <laughs> right. And it was the perfect place to check out the veracity of the tales. And he must have believed them. He actually invited Terry to stay on as a ranch supervisor. So Terry and his family got the heck out of there. Yeah, they as, you, like, as you'd
1: heard from the last part two there, they'd had enough. Yeah,
2: yeah, they'd had enough. So they moved, I believe, about 15 or 20 miles away. But Bigelow invited... Sherman to stay on at the ranch. Well, that's smart because he knows the
1: property, yeah, and he knows how the uh, the ranch works. He can take care of the property, and he also knows how to
2: elicit responses from the ranch. Oh, you mean from the other side? Yeah, I mean he knows something about it. When it's going to happen, where to look, what kind of things might happen, and this is the exact kind of stuff that Bigelow is wanting to sick his scientists on. He wants to put these guys in there, and he wants to quantify and measure and be able to relate a verifiable scientific method analysis of what is happening there.
1: Right, right. Also, what's great is that as a wealthy man, he can go ultimate legend tripping, which is kind of what this is. He's going to check out a legend at a property. But he's using Terry because he's eliminating that learning curve of what's the pattern here? Is there any kind of pattern? And also just as practical means, he can take care of the day-to-day routine stuff with the ranch.
2: The fascinating thing about Bigelow, too, is he has all this real estate. He's made this money off these hotels, Apparently, one of the things that he first said a long time ago in some of the older newspaper articles we found was that he wanted to build a 500-room space hotel. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, well, that was the plan. He doesn't talk about it anymore. And that's what we were talking about earlier, about how he seemed to have gotten quieter over the years in terms of interviews and that sort of thing. But back in the 90s, he was freely saying, yeah, don't build a space hotel.
1: Well, that's not so different than uh, Richard Branson. Which is, let's bring space to the people, which is kind of democratic in a way. And
2: uh, of course, very rich rich people, sure. Yeah, right now, do you know what the estimated cost is to uh, to get a seat on a SpaceX? Is it
1: more than Justin Timberlake is paying to go for an orbital ride? It's $20 Those folks have money like that. So to them, it's like two grand.
2: And there's a slight risk of being atomized. (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, that's a, you know, that's how I want to go.
2: Yeah. I want be vaporized, turned
1: into gas, yeah. even more so. Of course, these guys have these big kind of plans. That just seems to be their, their milieu. These crazy ideas like underwater hotels, space
2: hotels, Hotels where normally people shouldn't be. Well, and it's interesting because Bigelow has this philosophy, and I think he's right with it. You can't develop the technology for space travel on Earth because you're restricted by all the laws of physics that take oh, place on the surface of the planet. Yeah. And that ultimately it should be developed in space. Yeah. If you were at the bottom of the ocean and you wanted to invent and perfect and use a car... Yeah. Not going to work because the (laughs) environment isn't right. It's working
1: against you. Yeah. No, look at Star Trek. Where's the docking station? The dry dock? (laughs) Yeah. There's space. There's no wetness. There's no dryness. It's just space. But at some point when it gets that large, yeah, you have to build this off the planet because what's so hard about rocketry and SpaceX, we saw the failed launch just engine testing sitting on the pad. Yeah, just a few weeks ago. The
2: hardest thing... That wasn't really a failed launch, because it wasn't supposed to launch. It was a, a static test, I think they called it.
1: Which you want to do before you actually go up. But one of the hardest things is getting
2: outside of our atmosphere. So once you're outside of that, you've eliminated
1: that, then things should be exponentially easier.
2: Yeah. So up until now, you've heard all the things that we've talked about, all the stories and the stories that go way back with the utes and all that stuff. You think, well, these are just stories. This stuff is all made up. There's probably no real evidence of it. This is a real person spending real money to come and ascertain whether or not that's true, who clearly believes that something is actually going on there. And a lot of stories like this, which you would you may hear or relay about a spooky thing that happened somewhere or some uh, goings-on, nothing like this really happens. The story just kind of dies down. It doesn't go on to be investigated by scientists, which is what the whole purpose of the NIDS group was. Right. But there's reasons
1: for that. Yeah. And part of the reason might be it's the nature of it being observable in a way and other outside influences, really. And they'll tell you that as part of their final report. And the other thing that uh, some of the insiders have said is that they were being worked against at every turn. So when you come to do this as a scientific study – It's like you don't really have germs plotting against you. Right. (laughs) (laughs) They're there to be observed. Yeah. Then you have the whole Schrodinger's equation, Schrodinger's cat, all these different elements about the scientific method and applying that to something this anomalous. It may not always work and it it didn't seem to work here. But Colonel John Alexander has said, like, well, look, if you went there, you would experience boredom. Right, Most likely, because you have to realize all these stories that we're telling you now, and I think we may have mentioned this also in part two, we're compressing all the time here over several years into several hours hours Of of events of telling you these stories. Yeah, of course. So it sounds like a lot was happening in a short period of time. And relatively to these types of events, it is. And I've often noted this. It's like people who say, ask anybody, have you ever seen a UFO? Well, I saw a light that was zigzagging off in the distance. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't the space station. I'll tell you that or they think they saw a ghost or whatever. Well, how many times does it happen? Well, once in my life, twice, yeah, three exactly. times. These are rare life events for most people anyway. And so what's unusual about this place is that a lot of weird different things have all happened within, you know, a long span of time, years, over years, but that alone in itself is unusual and worthy of note.
2: Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about Ned. He had put together a serious team for this and I believe Kelleher talked about essentially a job listing, asking, you know, to be (laughs) involved in this. And Kelleher wasn't involved in it. He has a doctorate, I believe, in microbiology. Yes, Mm -hmm. And the other people who were involved, who were named, are also Eric Davis, who has a PhD as well, possibly in physics. He's a physicist, I I believe. But then there are other folks who didn't want their names used, who stayed anonymous, who were involved. Because when you explore this kind of thing as a scientist you can be branded a crazy person. Most assuredly. Yeah.
1: Is that even people who don't think you're crazy don't want to be tainted by association. Yeah. They're trying to get papers published. They've got tenure at universities and other folks don't like to see anything related to that because that just puts the wacko label on you. Right. Even if you're remotely associated with it. However... I will say, Bigelow did put together real, genuine, bona fide scientists together.
2: Yes, he did. And he gave them all the equipment they asked for. And they were able to make as close to an official study of the events at the ranch as as anyone could possibly do. Additionally, there was a member or a consultant to NIDS, a colonel that you just mentioned. Yes. Colonel John B. Alexander, I believe. Mm -hmm. Retired. We mentioned this in part two. There's a seven-minute interview with him with Alejandro Rojas, right, of Open yes. Minds TV. Mm-hmm. We have a link to that, which it's worth watching. One of the things that Alexander says in that video and in other interviews is that for some reason, whatever was happening at the ranch did seem to be focused on Dr. Davis, the physicist. Yeah. Somehow there was a connection there, which is fascinating because it does seem to focus on certain people, which might explain things like Garth Meyer saying he never saw anything. Maybe it wasn't interested in him, whatever this... Well, the phenomenon was. Right. Either Davis was
1: sensitive to these goings on. Right. Or the phenomenon and the, and the goings on were sensitive to him. And if there's other people who didn't see it, that would mean that maybe they weren't sensitive to it. Or conversely, they weren't of interest. It was just this individual. Why were those three skinwalkers trying to climb the fence of that one white family? Yeah. Because they had something special. They had some kind of powerful mojo going on with
2: them. And the other thing that's really fascinating is that Alexander describes the phenomenon there as a precognitive sentient phenomena. And we mentioned the precognitive part of this in an earlier episode. I think I made a minority report joke. Yes. Uh, about that. Uh, <laughs> right. But there was something about the things that are happening that seem to know exactly who they're dealing with. It's even with the hippie who was meditating out in the field. Yeah. It's like you said, the trickster element, The I'm going to mess with this guy. I know yeah. what this guy is. I know he's a visitor. I know he wants to experience something. Yeah. He's come here and I'm going to give him his money's worth. Let me see if I can make him poop his pants. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So <laughs> yeah. And what is that about? Why is this thing toying with people? And it's the same thing that Terry and Gwen described when they were dealing with the blue orb. It seemed to know what they were thinking. And the other thing that happened to the NIDS team over and over again was that whatever was happening at this ranch was aware when it was trying to be measured. Yeah. And that created a problem for them. It created a problem for the scientists. They frequently would see just enough to confirm for themselves, personally, that something odd was going on, but it wasn't something that you could capture. It would be a light in the far, far distance that's moving erratically, that's definitely not a gas fire at an oil well. There's a craft or something or an orb, but it's so far away. If you take a picture of it, it's very hard— especially at night, to capture definitive visual recordings of something like that, unless you're right at it. And if you're right at it, you're having a whole different experience anyway.
1: This is perhaps the main point of the whole NIDS research. This stuff is not easy to capture. And it may be impossible to get anything satisfying. You get bits and pieces here. But your
2: story of the uh, orbs did you say? Points of light? Yeah, they were... White lights. I yeah. did not see flashing lights that you normally see with aircraft. Yeah. They were little stars in the sky, but closer. They definitely seemed just above the clouds for altitude. Yeah,
1: This is what's fascinating, and it points to the aspect. There are elements of this that ring true, that from these stories, that's how we piece together these bits of info, and that's really all we have to go on, and especially as private citizens. We're not going to get to their deep, dark files out there in the world about who knows what and what's really going on. But what you can do is from these anecdotes, if you believe them, is kind of piece together a picture. And so one element of this, that what you just described, reminded me of an interview with UFO sightings. Knowing these topics were going to come up again, I was making notes on these shows I was watching. This one gentleman who's retired, his hobby is astronomical photography. So he's got a telescope, he's got his SLR, and he's got state-of-the-art equipment, poured all his money into it, and he lives in Florida, which, you know, they see a lot of UFOs there. So he has this deck, and I think he points the telescope up the stars at night. But he happened to see something, I think, kind of in the afternoon, in the daylight. And it was the shimmering kind of craft. And he, he could see it with his naked eye. So, of course, perfect opportunity. Takes the telescope, points it right at this object, which is just off the water. But he could see that this is stationary. It's hovering. It's not an aircraft. It's not a helicopter. It's not moving. And he hooks up his SLR, and he's like, I got this. I got all the right equipment. It's daylight. Zooms in on this thing. He said, here we go. This is going to be in focus. He takes the picture, takes several. It looks exactly the same as it did with his naked eye. The photo that he took with the telescope with the high-end DSLR attached to it didn't look much different than what he could see with his naked eye, as far as like it being kind of shimmery and blurry. That's interesting. Isn't it strange? Yeah, that, that, so it
2: just that, it, there was no improvement with the added visual technique? No,
1: so who knows what that is? I don't know if that's a cloaking type thing to kind of, you know, is a scramble suit yeah. for UFOs, so it's not totally observable. But that's a pretty common thing. You hear people taking pictures that don't come out exactly as what they saw with their naked eye.
2: Well, speaking of pictures, we should talk about the camera incident. Because John Alexander, when he was asked in that interview, yes. what is the one thing that really stood out to you? And yeah. what was his answer? Well,
1: yeah, he said, well, of course, there's several. For you folks that want hard scientific evidence, they basically had four telephone poles spaced on the ranch, kind of out in the open there. And on top of these, it was kind of like a camera platform. So they had cameras on each of these poles pointed in all directions
2: and at each of the other poles. And also this was in the area where the calf had been mutilated earlier.
1: Yeah, it was an area where the cattle could graze openly but had experienced different phenomenon. Yes. So they thought this was a good open space. There's no obstruction of
2: trees except way off in the distance and bluffs to uh, the other side. Yeah, so maybe we'll catch some orbs or we'll catch something happening to a cow or we'll catch, right. you know, any number of the phenomenon that's been there before. And they put those cameras up and for a whole year... Absolutely nothing <laughs> well, happened. Not what, one thing. Yeah,
1: that's what Colonel Alexander was saying because people would say, like, well, I want to come visit. And it's like, you're not going to see anything. You know, 99% your chance. You're not going to see anything. It's a ranch out in the desert. There's right. nothing going on. But if it was going on, this is their attempt to capture whatever it was, at least on video. And so one night around 8.30 p.m., remember this is up north, so they have daylight longer in the summer Yes uh, than we do. so 830 plenty of light to see. they noticed that the cameras had gone offline. So is it Terry noticed? T- Terry noticed it? Yes. he walked up to the pole. Now let me explain how these cameras are positioned. There's a platform up up top. There are six cameras, right pointed in all directions, some have infrared capability to see. They are connected with their camera. The video cables coming from the cameras are bunched up along with the power cables and go down the pole and they're... they're, Inside of a PVC pipe. Yeah, they're heavily duct taped. The PVC pipe starts lowered like towards the ground, I believe, as they enter. So they're kind of bare-wired, but they're taped all the way down. Then they go into PVC piping, which then goes into the ground to the trailer, which is where the recorders are. And so it's a pretty secure system... For what it is. You would have to physically really, you know, yank on these things to mess with them. So he notices that the duct tape is not just ripped, but totally gone.
2: Gone. There was duct tape around the entire arrangement, but there was also duct tape around the individual wires as well. Yes, exactly. All of that was gone. Missing. And as, as, the, as the report says, imagine duct tape
1: sitting out in the hot sun getting sticky and gooey. Yeah. How hard that would be to just unravel that. You could do it, but it would take you a while. So that's all gone, and the PVC piping has been wrenched away from the pole and partially, I think, uh, removed up from the ground. Up near the
2: top, the wires have been yanked from the cameras, at least three of them. Yes. And there was also, from Alexander's interview on OpenMinds.tv, he said that there was a three-foot section of wire. Yes, yes. Just missing. Yeah. Like the duct tape, no sign of it. And they canvassed the ground. They yeah. gridded it out and searched several hundred yards in every direction, never found the tape, and never found the missing wire. It had been cut. Yeah. Now
1: we have evidence because we have other cameras pointed at this pole. Yes. These poles are, are spaced 200 feet apart. There's four of them. And the other ones will have a camera pointing back to pole number one. So we should get this. We should have this on tape. The other ones were running. So, of course, they all rush back. To the trailer and what they notice, Scott, as the timestamp gets to
2: eight thirty. They're glued to the T V, they're looking at this monitor in the playback. It goes to eight thirty, it goes right past eight thirty, nothing happens on the tape. Right. <laughs> right. No and this is on yeah. the working camera. And not only is nothing happening, there's cattle munching on the grass there. Yeah. As killers as munching. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Yeah. They don't react. They're not looking at the pole. They're not reacting as though there's any sort of presence around them. And as Alexander says, if you walked up to them as a human, they would part. They would scatter.
1: Yeah. You know, they they're a little skittish of you, so they would part normally. They just happen to be grazing around the foot of the of telephone the pole. pole, and it's not the cat. The cows didn't rip it out. <laughs> just yeah. If you're thinking that that didn't happen, but nothing had spooked them, so right. they were just. There, and, and they
2: didn't have enough resolution to really see what was happening on the minute level. So yeah, they, they
1: didn't have the, the video capabilities that we even do now, high def and such, but it was as good as they could get at the time. Right. And so they would have to use some enhancement. So yeah, they,
2: they took yeah. the tapes back to Vegas to the NIDS headquarters, which was in Las Vegas, which is where Bigelow lives, right. and also Bigelow Airspace is based there. And they tried to enhance the video. Everyone jokes about that. Enhance, like from Blade <laughs> Runner, which is impossible. You can, 30, 30, yeah, yes, you, you cannot yeah. add resolution to something. But what you can do yeah. is increase the contrast or look at different wavelengths and try, exactly. to, and try to figure out what's going on. And one of the things that they were able to do was determine... And one of the things that they were able to do was to isolate and see the little red tally light on the yeah. cameras. Yeah. And they were able to determine when the light went off, right. and they saw it go off at 8.30. Which is when the cables were cut. They were cut. They were yanked out of the cameras. The duct tape was disappeared, and three feet of wiring was disappeared yeah. all around 8.30. The camera was pointed right at the pole. It saw the cows. The cows are not reacting. Now they know that this is when it happened, and this is one of the interesting things that Colonel Alexander talks about in that interview that we keep referencing, which we have a link to. It's about a seven-minute interview. Yeah, He talks about how the cameras are on an intervalometer. If you don't know what that is, it's basically just a timer. And this is typical with surveillance cameras. Yeah, your, you your know, I, right. Your iPhone will take time-lapse, yeah, and them, which can, is what that is. You don't want to run it all the time because it consumes a huge amount of tape. And, exactly. And especially when you're doing a long-term surveillance like that. So it's taking a picture every second or two seconds.
1: I believe there. Yeah, I believe Alexander said there was two settings. One, it would do one frame per second. So that's still pretty good. If yeah. you see time-lapse, that could be like one frame every 10, 15, 20 seconds. Right. This is one frame per second, or there was a faster setting, three frames per second. Right. So what this means is that, essentially, this happened
2: instantaneously. Right. They were able to conclude, and what Colonel Alexander was able to say, and what he said is one of the most puzzling, quantifiable incidents in the NIDS history of doing research or trying to capture these paranormal phenomena on tape, was that the cameras were working, and then they weren't working. (laughs) And suddenly, all the damage that happened would have had to happen in the span of about a second or a third, a third, of, third of a second. Se- yeah. So wrap your head around that, folks. <laughs> well, something yeah. came yeah. that either is really fast and dexterous <laughs> oh, and flash. invisible, Yeah. or something came that can control time. Yes, right. Or not appear. Tear a hole
1: in the curtain of our time-space continuum fabric, blah, 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 yank the crap and then beat it. Yeah. yeah,
2: without all without bothering the cows. Right, but it
1: answers a big question. A it answers practice.
2: a question? What question is it the, answering? The question is, how does it work?
1: <laughs> no, it's my question. There's a woman who tells a story about being haunted in her house and communicating with some kind of entity, and she found writing in lipstick on a mirror, and then she would ask it questions. So I was thinking, okay, is this like my favorite Martian when her back is turned, the lipstick, and it goes up and it does the writing. In this case, is there some pair of shears that kind of bob up and down and goes up to the wires and clips them? Yeah, Like Disney style. The ghost it, like and Mr. On a Chicken. String. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> on a string. Some uh, <laughs> some snip crew snip. guy is off the back with trick line and he's bobbing this thing because they need you to see it. It's, yeah. not as, it's not as funny or impressive, especially with Don Knotts in the picture. Yeah. If these things just happen instantaneously. That's how you it has to be portrayed, but the question it answers is that, how does this happen right You don't exactly know other than it's instantaneous in the blink of an eye, it happens, so that's kind of curious, even if it was a poltergeist, you'd see some yanking, you'd see the tape burp, 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 you know being ripped off the pole and coming around in a circular thing and being thrown away and a big sticky ball. Right. But you don't see that. It no, just, and they never vanishes. found the shape. Yeah. They
2: couldn't find the wire. It's it, just like the cattle, there was, I think he had lost six cows that completely disappeared off yeah. the ranch. It, of just course. Just vanished, not mutilated, just gone. And then the second part of this, again, it's that you have your doubters saying
1: like, well, why don't they do it scientifically? Why not have cameras set up? Well, here they did. Yes. They took the proper measures. They had cameras set up. They had a camera pointing at the other cameras to see all around, and it didn't get anything. But that's kind of an answer in itself. Again, point number one here. The no answer is an answer in itself. Well, at least you know it's what it's
2: not. Well, you know (laughs) what it reminds me of? We come back to the whole Sasquatch thing and all this discussion that's come up over the past 10 or 15 years, I would say, about the possibility of Bigfoot being interdimensional (laughs) or (laughs) able to manipulate technology. Yeah, I've mentioned this show before, but the show that Les Stroud did, where he was trying to get to the bottom of bigfoot appearances right. because as a survivor guy he had personally witnessed or heard lots of things that led him to question whether or not bigfoot existed and yeah. he too wanted to get evidence on tape right. of bigfoot so he went to these known hot spots and he set things up and one of those episodes he had set up a camera and he put an apple or a candy bar up in a tree like 20 feet up <laughs> yeah yeah And the next morning, that stuff was gone. And when he went to look and see what moment it happened, the camera was disabled. Uh Aha. And by the way, he was (laughs) up on a mountain. It's not like some neighborhood kids came by. Way up in, I believe, in the Pacific Northwest somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, where you're supposedly from the general region, and um, <laughs> yeah, right, yeah, never. You seen couldn't see those. anything yeah. on the camera. You had mentioned this grand unified paranormal theory. That'll be in the conclusions part. Okay, I know, don't want to get say, ahead of to, ourselves. Just but, to
1: satiate arc researcher Chris Cogswell. <laughs>
2: yeah, it's just interesting the common ground between this particular event and that event. But it goes right back to what we've been saying: was that Nids had no luck being able to acquire forensic evidence that could tell them anything about what was going on at the ranch. Right. Even though the scientists themselves were personally witnessing activity, they couldn't get it recorded in any way that you could then show it to someone and say, aha, look, yeah. look what's happening here. Right. When they did get close to that, they wound up with this phenomenon that disabled three cameras in a third of a second,
1: Yeah, it, invisibly. Right. So there's two ways to look at this, I guess, or maybe more. Whatever force is doing this... Is leaving little bits and pieces being the trickster, or they're not allowed to by some intergalactic uh, Douglas Adams rule? You yeah, know, the this is a very Douglas Adams. Yeah, yes, exactly. There's, you know, Rule Seven Hundred and Thirty-Two: You're not allowed
2: to totally mess with people. You can a little though. But you know what else it demonstrates? Just like the meditation event demonstrates, yeah. it demonstrates an understanding of our world and our technology, even at the most basic level, to know what a camera is and what they were trying to do there with the cameras, to specifically come here from, I mean, didn't weigh off the ranch here, to, to, use a, <laughs> Literally. to use a phrase, yeah. to come here from another dimension or, yeah. or whatever, and specifically to disable what, by all intents and purposes, if you can travel from another dimension, is archaic technology, just to prevent us from being able to ascertain what these things are. That in itself sends a message. Why oh, yeah. would these things yeah. even care if we got them on camera? Why? Well, there, I'm honestly, I'm at a loss for fl- <laughs> I, I Yeah. For the I first just, time ever. Ne-
1: <laughs> well, but here's a way to look at it because Chris in the arc mentioned this. Well, if these are so people so smart, why are they leaving little bits of evidence? That doesn't seem too smart. And it's like, I don't think they care. Yeah. I do believe they have purpose. They're not joyriding around, maybe a little bit. But whatever they're doing and whatever their purpose is, and I believe they, whatever is happening does have a purpose. That's just my personal belief. There's a purpose to everything. I believe that they're watching themselves, but they don't seem to care. And that kind of goes into the final NIDS report, or one of them, about the nature of the sighting of the Black Triangle, specifically more of the UFO phenomenon. It does not seem like a stealthy deployment of secret aircraft by at least governments, because they don't do it that way. You don't just parade these things around on the highway and then people are seeing them, but not getting many photographs. But occasionally you've seen some evidence that may be something like that, but certainly lots of descriptions of sightings. So it doesn't fit these kind of rules. So getting back to that, why why little bits of that? And it really comes down to Alexander's, two of the bigger conclusions that he had, at least in this interview and with NIDS in general. What is the name of this force? What are you going to name this thing? What is happening to us? The term is precognitive sentient phenomena. So in your basic three scientific terms there, it knows what's going to happen. It can either read your mind or it can tell the future in a way, or it just has a higher vantage point, somehow just able to see a little further down the road than we are. So it knows what you're trying to do. And sentient, it thinks, it's smart. It can certainly solve problems and goof things up. It knows how to do that. And generally, it's a phenomenon. We just don't know what's happening here, but even our brightest minds and smartest people seem to think something is happening.
2: And we have a NIDS report, a story that you can see. We have a link to it. It's called the the Valley Davis Model, and it's a document written by Jacques Valley, yeah. who was a consultant for NIDS, I believe. Yes. And then Dr. Mm-hmm. Davis, who was present. The abstract of this report states the following, and this is really just kind of, to me, this is scientists being frustrated that they can't science this, Uh, right? (laughs) Right. Listen to the abstract from this. The main argument presented in this paper is that the continuing study of unidentified aerial phenomena, UAP, that's what scientists call UFOs, by the (laughs) way. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Unidentified aerial phenomena, UAP, may offer an existence theorem for new models of physical reality. The current SETI paradigm and its assumption of mediocrity place restrictions on forms of non-human intelligence that may be researched. A similar bias exists in the ufologist's often-stated hypothesis that UAP, if real, must represent space visitors. Observing that both models are biased by anthropomorphism, the authors attempt to clarify the issues surrounding high-strangeness observations by distinguishing six layers of information that can be derived from UAP events. Namely, number one, physical manifestations, two, anti-physical effects, three, psychological factors, four, physiological factors, five, psychic effects, and six, cultural effects. In a further step, they propose a framework for scientific analysis of unidentified aerial phenomena that takes into account the incommensurability problem. So... You can see that people are taking this very serious. Now, this particular report isn't necessarily specifically talking about Skinwalker Ranch, but it is talking about the NIDS approach, how to quantify this kind of stuff. Right. And the ranch specifically has all of these different layers, the psychic layer, the physiological layer, and then the cultural layer is, for example, the legend of Skinwalkers among the Utes.
1: What we were trying to do before, and maybe it seems like this is why it jumps all over the place, we're connecting hundreds, maybe thousands of years here. Yeah. And that, what does the NIDS team end up with? What John Alexander says, asked by Alejandro, is like, what's going on here? And he's like, well, we're back to the trickster. Yeah. So who mentions first the trickster? The very legends at the beginning of humanity and all the way through this trickster element, this conscious being. It's Q from uh, Star Trek. He's messing with you. He's causing Captain Picard
2: all kinds of headaches because he can't and in the process trying to teach him a lesson, I guess. You know what else it has a lot of common ground with is Gremlins and the idea of Gremlins. And I'm not talking about the silly movie from the 80s. I am telling you that I want to do a show on Gremlins and I have been doing some early research on it and specifically as it relates to aviation. And it is freaky. And there are lots and lots of stories with witnesses, World War II pilots. It is Unbelievable. It's
1: enough to look into. Yeah, and definitely. the
2: nature of what's happening to these guys in yeah. their planes and the damage is exactly the same MO. Yeah. It's, it's about messing with things and trying to cause problems and doing it in such a way that it's... And discovered it very well in the Twilight Zone, the movie, with yeah. the thing on the wing tearing right. the engine apart. Yeah. That's exactly the kind of stuff that it's doing. And the same thing is happening to these cameras at the ranch. What is the desire to come here and mess with it? <laughs> well... I, from wherever you came from, and yeah. where are you when you're not here? Well, who more important, maybe we're the ones intruding,
1: right? Maybe we're we're invading their space, their land, their territory. That's why the, you'd stay out of the path of the skinwalker. All of the northern area of Utah, there, it's no go. And who knows what the reasons are? But if I had that kind of omnipotent power, then yeah, maybe I'd play a prank here. I was thinking about this. What if you had the uh, the Mars rover suddenly, and then it, it tilts down? Somehow I was able to leave like a crumpled up Subway wrapper with a half-eaten meatball sub (laughs) just sitting there on the ground like, the the what? What? That's not supposed to be there? What is going on? It would blow people's minds. It's like, check the feeds. Nope, nope, it's there. And we don't know how I got there. My God, that would just turn everything upside down. Well, people are being messed with. But like I said, the elements that they're describing go way back to the first legends of the Skinwalker, being able to read, at least with the Navajo tradition here, Being able to read your thoughts, luring you out
2: to the open and playing tricks on you, scaring you. Before we walk away from the the idea of the trickster, I did want to point out one other thing. Pretty much everybody, especially when you're a kid, yeah, has done something to mess with a lower (laughs) life form.
0: (laughs) Whether yeah. it's
2: using a magnifying glass uh, to burn an yeah, ant to death. It's, yeah. Or trip, but yeah. you know, moving the cheese in the maze and watching <laughs> a hamster try to find it. <laughs> yeah. Or playing peekaboo with your own child when they're a baby, you are doing things that are beyond their comprehension. Or yeah. and I feel bad about this, but oh. when I was a kid, sometimes I would put some sticky tape on the back foot of a cat. Oh yeah. Which is <laughs> They do a little dance. Don't it's, they? Yes, it's it's yeah. I know. would laugh until I was crying. I know. And I'm not promoting animal. No, don't, don't try this. But the point is, the cat doesn't know what tape is. It's just, I can't get this thing off my foot. Yeah, I don't like this feeling. And I think it's funny. Right. So... That seems to be what's happening, so maybe we can assume that a higher life form is coming here and it's putting tape on our foot. <laughs> yeah, it's, you a, know. it's a cat that's maybe bothering you. you know, yeah, and, these, a, these things are annoying. Let's mess with them.
1: No. And, and the, <laughs> that's
2: what and, they're doing. Well, yeah. It's, these things being humanity. Right, in a very much more gentle way. It's like when you play fetch with your dog
1: and you've got the ball and then there's one time where you think, you act like you throw the ball. Oh, so You don't, the go, ooh, where did it go? And then the... <laughs> And he's like, no, I still got it. And he, he the dog's like, uh, I don't care. I just want you to throw it next time. And yeah. Then there's only so many times you can do that. And then finally it goes around your behind your back like, oh, you stole the ball. Like, yeah. The dog doesn't care. He just wants you to play with him. So in these cases, it's like from demons to skinwalker to UFOs, because I believe them appearing in the places that they do and not trying to be secretive, again, going against A government rollout of some kind of top secret craft It doesn't fit that profile
2: Well, and I read in the research too That, you know, another complicating effect here Is we can talk briefly about Gary Hart Before you do Do you want to go into and describing One of the final uh, elements of encounters here That I consider pure trickster? You know what, we'll do that in a minute But right now it's time for our next message From one of our sponsors How great would it be if the post office was open 24-7? You could avoid the lines, go anytime you wanted. I don't know. I still think I'd have an allergic reaction to going. That's (laughs) the only time you can get in and out would be like 3 a.m. And I live in Los Angeles. I'm not about to go to the post office at 3 a.m.
1: Point well taken. Yeah, that's why we love Stamps.com. No limited hours. We can get our mailing and shipping done as needed. And so can you. Just use
2: Stamps.com to print postage right from your desk whenever you need it. I can't tell you how much time and energy Stamps.com has saved us. You just use your home computer and printer to get official U.S. postage for any letter or package. Then, the mailman picks it up. Just like that. Just like that. And you'll save money. Get the exact postage you need. No more overpaying. Even get special discounts that aren't offered at the post office. Even at 3 a.m. Scott and I use Stamps.com,
1: and you should too. And we can sweeten the deal for our listeners. Right now, sign up for Stamps.com and use our promo code, LEGENDS, for this special offer. A four-week trial, plus a $110 bonus offer, including postage and a digital
2: scale. The hours in the day are too few to spend even a couple of minutes standing in line at the post office. Stamps.com is a way to get some of that time and energy back. One more time, go to stamps.com,
1: and before you do anything else, click on the microphone at the top of the home page. That's very important. And type in LEGENDS. And in just a few minutes, You'll be
2: printing postage right from your desktop. That's stamps.com. Enter legends. Okay, I had mentioned Gary Hart, but we're going to save uh, him, the by Senator? the way. The it Senator? is <laughs> It is not Senator Gary Hart. Dang. He's not the man that ran for president. Not the monkey business? Not the monkey business. Okay. But you were right. Before we go on to that, we should talk about the other story about the steer, because that one is a particularly interesting one to me, because it demonstrates... Oh, several things going on. Yeah, it you know. demonstrates the cognizance of the phenomenon at the ranch. I thought about Colonel Alexander's words, and when he says, well,
1: it all comes back down to the trickster, and I started thinking about the pranks, or you know, the, the incidents that were reported and the interactions, and it was like the hole digger was stuck in the
2: tree. Yeah, the 70-pound post post-hole hole digger was digger. found 20 feet up in a tree. Yeah, goofy things,
1: cordwood being stacked, but I thought, like, out of all those, what's probably the best prank I've heard? And this one immediately came to mind, and it, it involves Terry's Bulls. So they
2: had four prized bulls and a little corral. I think this was after they had already left the ranch. Yes, it was. It was because I know NIDS was involved in the follow-up investigation. Yeah. So the bulls were still there on the ranch because they had moved. I'm not sure that they had a ranch in their new home. I think the, that's part of the reason that some of the animals were stay behind with yeah. they, Well, they have property, and of course, you can keep a horse or two yeah. and, and, some, and a couple of cows, yeah. but not the ranching operation
1: that they certainly had before.
2: Right. So they were actually driving on the property, and they looked over, and it was Terry and his wife, Gwen, were in the car, and they looked over and saw those four bulls, and she said something to the effect of, this was in a private discussion between yeah. them. It's like, yeah. I am so glad nothing has happened to them. Those are our best animals, and we're very fortunate that they've been fine throughout all of this. Well, a prize bull, of course, can
1: inseminate a lot of females. So one of a good stock can bring a lot of money and generate a lot of money with yeah. offspring. So these And they are, had these four. Are, yeah, these are prized possessions. And again, Terry knew what he was doing with animal husbandry. So it's interesting that you mention that again, because that's a little tidbit I forgot, was that was brought up, knock on wood, Thank goodness nothing's happened to those because if it
2: did, we'd really be screwed. So then they go about their day on the same day that they mentioned this. 45 minutes later, they come back by the corral. They look over and the bulls, all four of them, gone. Yeah, your worst nightmare. Didn't we
1: just talk about this? Yeah. We did. And now they're gone. It's
2: like it knew they were talking about it. And so in addition to them being gone and them possibly being attached to them as their animals and that they've raised and that have sired a million calves and all that kind of stuff, it's also tens of thousands of dollars. Oh, yeah. It just vanished. So they're in a panic now.
1: They're looking all over the place. They're just hoping these things aren't turned inside out somewhere.
2: Yeah. So they go down to the corral. And they start looking around, and right next to it, bordering it, there's a trailer. An old, uh, kind of a rusty uh, trailer, not used very much. It was over in a, a one side of the corral, inside the corral. So Terry goes over to this old trailer, and he realizes that something is inside. And he looks in there, and inside the trailer are all four bulls. Yes. They're standing in there, and they seem like they're barely conscious. And at this point, Gwen had gone back to the car, and she was crying hysterically. She yeah. was really, really upset. But he realizes they're in there, and he calls for her to come back. And so he looks in this trailer, and they're just standing there staring like they're not even awake, like they're in some kind of trance. Exactly. And then he gets their attention, and they start
1: going crazy. Well, the first thing he noticed was that, how did they get in there? And there's a handle, there's a latch. Yes. There's a spot for a lock. But instead of a lock, I believe there's, like, baling wire. Barbed wire. Imagine where the hole is for the lock. Yes. Into the latch. So,
2: basically, it's wired shut. The trailer was wired shut. The animals were in there. And it was still wired shut. And on top of that, there were cobwebs on the latch. This thing was not meant to hold four
1: adult bulls. No. Inside. So, they were crammed in there, shoulder to shoulder. Like sardines, right. When he opens the door, it seems like they kind of snap out of this trench. They start to awaken, and yeah, then what happens? They start kicking and going crazy. They start going like, nuts and because they're crapping they everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> well, they don't, Lots of snot and uh, poop comes out of uh, cows. Folks. Right. They, like, my grandfather used to tell me that when we would ride a bull, it would just you'd just be covered in bull snot. So, huh. Huh. no, they're big. They're big animals. Nice they're they're now afraid and freaked out. They're just kind of waking up. They don't expect to be in there. Now they're confined and crammed in there. So, yeah, they started kicking the crap out of the trailer and each other. That must have been a sight.
2: Yeah, but they do get out, and they're okay. But at this point, the NIDS team, the scientists are on site. The ranch does belong now to Bigelow. And so they get word of what's happening. They come out to examine. They're videotaping everything, trying to figure out what happened. And they reported there was a strong magnetic anomaly around the trailer. So. Uh They had the gear to measure this, but it was decaying. The magnetism was decaying, and yeah. within 48 hours, it was gone. So, so like an aftermath, a uh, residue. Yeah, of, of some kind. Effect, of of what
1: ma- it, however this happens. Of magnetism. Yeah. Yeah, so there's people who've been claimed to have been uh, taken by uh, aliens, abducted, abductees, experiencers, and they claim they were passed through walls. Right. So particle physics, uh, the subatomic level... Can things be jostled, buckaroo bonsai? Can you travel the space between atoms? It's not totally crazy that you could pass something through. Well, I just remember a physicist, I think it was in Brian Greene's uh, The Elegant Universe, I believe. It was on PBS. I remembered this anecdote, or I guess a saying, in the subatomic world, you could press your hand on a wall 10,000 times and usually nothing will happen. However, the 10,000 and first time, your hand could go through the wall. The rules are that loose on the subatomic level, so it's not that insane. But on the prank level, it's like a two layered prank. One, the bulls are missing, you freak out. Where are they? I've crammed them into this space. Two, they're gonna wake up and shoot poop at you and go nuts. And so I, I believe it knows that that this is gonna be a two parter <laughs> when they
2: wake up. These things are gonna go nuts. Yeah, and that'll be fun to watch. It's an amazing story, and for me, I know the camera story for Colonel Alexander yeah. seemed to be the one that hit. Well, only, yeah, him, but... only because it was being documented. Here yeah. you had you really had something going, but you end up with nothing. Yeah, this story is the same kind of thing. And another one that we're—I'm just going to briefly go over. where We are not going to go into it in detail, but there yeah. was another time when they had a corral with some horses in it. They looked down, and the horses were going crazy, and they could see some large beast. Running around among the horses. Yes. With a, a big fluffy red tail or something. Oh, yeah.
1: The red tailed uh, wolf, wolf.
2: Driving the horse. Yeah. Driving the horses crazy, but they never got a clear look at it. And as they approached, it took off and they never saw it, but the horses had scratches on their legs.
1: Yeah, that happened. I think Terry one time saw something kind of clawing at his at his prized horse's legs. Yeah. They would see these orbs sometimes part the cattle. The cattle would scatter. Yeah. As these things kind of move through the herd. So, a lot of disturbances, but at the camera station, no disturbance. There's so many
2: variables with these encounters. I want to talk a little bit about some of the controversies surrounding the National Institute for Discovery Science. Yes, of course there is controversy.
1: Controversy, if if you're from the UK. (laughs) (laughs) But just, no, of course there's going to be, anytime you're dealing not just with these far out kind of uh, fringy kind of things, that's all controversial to begin with, but then you have different factions with different goals.
2: Well, and one of the interesting things is that there was a big battle essentially between Bigelow Aerospace and MUFON,
1: yes, which right. is the
2: Mutual UFO Network, which is the premier UFO investigation group in the US, and I think possibly globally, but I'm... I'm no, they I have mean, an international body, which is one of the uh, participants in this bit of a spat was the uh, the chair, I believe. Yes. And this tells us a little bit about Bigelow's character, but also his focus and dedication to the kind of information he's trying to get. And one of the things that we alluded to in part two was that there were rumors that he was trying to capture alien spacecraft or alien technology to reverse engineer it and develop new methods of travel or technology for humanity. Well, that's what I would be doing. I forgot to mention this when we were telling the camera story. Just briefly, the cameras, in addition to being pointed at the direction where the calf had been mutilated, yes, they were also pointed in the direction where the orange ball of light that was a portal that Sherman kept seeing over and over, they were pointed right at that as well, which they never caught. And I want to reiterate that for a year, they saw nothing. Then they had the event where the cameras went down, and then eight more months, nothing. So, yeah, uh, well, no, I think that, at that point it was they were taken down. It just points to what we said earlier as part of the conclusions is a whole lot of nothing eighteen months of nothing but and then one super big thing that turns out to be nothing when you look at it
1: <laughs> yeah it's a, right well, it, like they say with police work, it's a lot of boredom, and then ten minutes of sheer excitement and panic, you know? yeah so it's all spread out, but very strange, and I would say the the special nature of this case. There are things that were discovered and kind of documented as, as best as they could, as much as they could, that you don't see a lot in other reportings of this kind of nature. You know what I'm yeah. saying? So they dig a little bit more information than you usually do, not the whole picture. But that's
2: what I think makes the story special. Right. So you were – Specifically, I was going to talk about the Carpenter affair, actually. Oh, yes, right. And how that relates to NIDS. And this was a – I don't know whether it was fully illegal activity that was taking place, but it was definitely unethical there was this man named John Carpenter, not the director, who was a hypnosis expert. Yeah. And he worked for MUFON interviewing people who thought that they had had alien abduction experiences. Right. I guess Bigelow wanted to get his hands on this information pretty rapidly whenever it was ascertained. Apparently what had happened was Carpenter was selling the case files of the people that he had talked to under hypnosis to Bigelow in exchange for... $100 $100 a person. Wow. Yeah. So there were 140 people, so he made $14,000, allegedly. I'm going to say allegedly. Please don't sue us. And <laughs>
1: No, the, yeah, <laughs> right. I mean, these are people accusing each other in various forms of communication.
2: Yes. And we weren't there. Carpenter denied that he ever did this, but they found an email that he sent to Bigelow that said, oh. thanks for the extra money. I really needed it. It was a tough year. So Please delete this email. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, remember, when you write it down, it's out there forever. In addition to that, during that time... Bigelow was donating to MUFON hundreds of thousands of dollars. So there was kind of some kind of thing going on there where he was trying to ascertain data as quickly as possible, pardon the expression, but he wanted to put boots on the ground wherever something that was a red flag was happening.
1: Right, and and to a point, I can understand that because in Bigelow's mind, it's like by the time like oh this gets filed and processed and put, you know, proper interviews were done and and filed, it's a cold recorded. case. Yes, exactly. Yeah, like with the cameras, he wants to capture it immediately. Go there before the electromagnetic residue fades away. Go there while there's still some evidence left behind and memories are fresh. I get it. He's trying to move as quickly as possible. But also with his using his influence, of course, you're going to piss some people off because they don't have that. And they are there for different reasons as well. It's like we were mentioning James Carrion, the uh, international director for MUFON for a while. There was a big tiff there. He wasn't agreeing with the actions of the board of MUFON who were more in cahoots, he thought, with Bigelow.
2: Right. And what we were talking about here is two different organizations with very different philosophies and approaches to how they want to ascertain the information they're trying to get, one is a corporation, yeah, and one is a, a organization dedicated to UFO research and theoretically more altruistic ideals in terms of how they acquire well, stuff. Well, it's it's Buffon's attitude is
1: that we should all know. There should be cataloged with the best scientific means in alignment with Bigelow in that respect. We should use the scientific process, catalog these events properly, and maintain a proper database of these sightings, and maybe we can glean something from that. However, they're probably more open. They want to take the information that they're processing and eventually divulge that to the public
2: because that's their stance. We all deserve to know. Right, which is not what Bigelow is after. Bigelow is after the information so that he can build spaceships. (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, that's
2: one. I just want to remind everyone no, that there's, there's yeah. a Bigelow Aerospace module attached to the International Space Station right now. Yeah, I'm sure you heard about it. It did make the news as an inflatable pod. I think it's being used mostly for storage right now. Well, it's undergoing a trial. They want to make sure that it's safe. There's no leaks. So, yeah, exactly. So for two years. Yeah. It, the duct tape doesn't go missing on this one. Yeah, they'll <laughs> okay. periodically be checking it out. And it is inflatable, but it's not like a balloon. It's got layers to it. It's a special kind of fabric, multiple special kinds of fabric that actually, theoretically, should be able to better absorb space debris, even microscopic debris, if it's penetrated because it has these layers of material that would stop something. Right. And then you can make a repair. Yeah, exactly. It gives more. Yeah, it's different than a hard metal surface that could possibly be penetrated by something and then also very difficult to fix. Right. Well, that's interesting because it does tie in with some of the
1: reports, I believe, that NIDS gave up on. Some of these black triangles might be inflatables, some kind of dirigibles using electromagnetic drives, nuclear propulsion, something
2: right. different. Right. Which is why they don't make any noise.
1: Yes. But I was thinking, though, you, you ever tried to throw a balloon filled with gas? <laughs> because the black triangles are described as just taking off in a second, like, it's doing like, you know, Mach 6. Right. So I don't really see how an inflatable can do that with my limited knowledge of physics and aerodynamics but who knows that was one theory I think they kind of moved away from that but that was they were toying with that at the beginning that somehow these are maybe some kind of airships using gas and pliable inflatable shapes. Kind of funny that that's what they ended up selling to NASA, making a profit. So it's a real viable company. You can't right. just be doing, look, I'm sure he's getting some
2: hotel money here and there, well, he's, but it's
1: got, this thing's got to be supporting itself.
2: He's part of an initiative that is pioneering the relationship between private enterprise and NASA.
1: Yeah, well, and Elon
2: Musk is too. So, exactly. Yeah. So the thing is, his profile is so much more mysterious and lower oh, yeah. than, than Musk or no, no. Yeah. Bezos or all these other guys who are trying to get into the rocket game the rocketry game it's interesting but whatever the idea behind it is he was buying this information about alien abductions he was trying to get access high speed access to any sort of credible ufo anomalies or sightings right he's buying the he's buying the information and the channels to it exactly and there's a funny thing here's something that we found out that you probably didn't know I imagine there's a cross-section of our audience that listens to the granddaddy of all radio podcasts, broadcasts on paranormal activity, and that's going to be Coast to Coast. AM. Yes, Coast to Coast (laughs) AM. And it's a great show. And George Knapp, who co-wrote The Hunt for the Skinwalker, is a frequent guest host on Coast to Coast. Yeah. But here's something about Coast to Coast that you probably didn't know. It wouldn't exist if it hadn't been for Robert Bigelow. So... Put that in your head there and let it slosh <laughs> around a little bit. But yeah. he is initially wanted to create a show called something 2000, Space well, 2000. I can't that's, remember what it was. That's oh, wait. Here. <laughs> Keeping hey on, up with the Paranormal. It's horrible. horrible. Yeah. Like, here we go. I'm going to read this quote from Ryan Skinner's website, this yeah. paragraph. I just want you guys to listen to this real quick. Skinwalkers in Paradise? Yeah, skinwalkerranch.org. We did communicate with Skinner via email, actually. I yes. reached out to him for an interview, and he did not want to give an interview, uh, but was completely polite about it. He just said that they'd gotten kind of stressful, and no, it was it's not a, something he was doing these days. No slight against him. Because
1: imagine, like, getting on the phone and having to do what we're
2: doing, and you're not that prepared. He's, yeah. Uh, you have
1: to get their notes together. you got to prepare what you're going to say. He's doing other things for a living as well. Yes. And too much trouble. But he was open to talking. Yes, uh, very gracious. Uh, yeah, and, so we and, might do that later, and
2: maybe uh, offer a little something later on down the line as far as like a discussion with him. But here's from his website. In his book, Reading the Enemy's Mind, remote viewer Paul Smith relates that in 1992, Robert Bigelow put the wheels in motion for a radio show on the paranormal called Area 2000. Hosted by Art Bell and featuring reports from George Knapp, whom Bigelow has had a long association with, Knapp was given an exclusive to the Skinwalker Ranch story, and it also had covered the Bigelow space efforts. And Linda Moulton Howe, while Bigelow later withdrew sponsorship of the show, Art Bell continued with it, and it later evolved into the massively popular Coast to Coast AM. Oh, wow. So all you Coast to Coast listeners who had never heard of Robert Bigelow know that Robert Bigelow is the reason Coast to Coast even came to existence. Exactly.
1: Well, you know what? These things don't happen unless you get some influential forces pushing them through. It was like with Hollywood, and you know, nothing will happen with a project until a big name gets attached. Oh, suddenly now people are interested. That's right. Not that he's a big famous name, but Bigelow has the money and he's got connections and he can certainly get people's attention.
2: Well, and he has his finger on the pulse of what is going on in the world of abductions and UFOs, clearly. Now, when NIDS finished up at the ranch, they disbanded. It was shut down. 2004? 2004, yeah. yeah. So a pretty, a pretty good while ago. At least that's what we're all led to believe. Maybe it's still around. (laughs) He still owns the property. He still owns the property. There's people on the property. What's happening there? I don't know. Are they still trying to check things out? Maybe, maybe not. Right. And this isn't the only ranch that has unusual activity. There's another ranch in far southern Colorado, not too far from the folks that I know that have some property in that area, about 60 or 70 miles away, I think, called the Redding War Ranch. Yeah, tell and me about that. I'm not going to go super in-depth on it because it's its own story, but the reality is that this ranch had been a place that had similar activity to Skinwalker, not as pronounced, but for a long time, from the I guess from the 50s or 60s through the 80s, you couldn't even go on it. There was no trespassing, even if your cattle wandered onto it which is It's atypical to yeah. not allow access to your land if you have a big patch of land like that and there's right. neighboring properties and it's not all fenced. Yeah. The animals cross over. Of course, that's what I'm saying. How
1: does, how does he keep you from getting
2: it back? Yeah, yeah. So, and this ranch apparently has these strange metallic buildings on it, which the owner says, hey, I build still buildings and these are just deer stands. <laughs> I guess a lot of people seem to think that it might be connected to Dulce Base, yes. Which is a mysterious base that Forrest is – I wouldn't have even known about if Forrest hadn't told me about that supposedly has all these underground floors including a lower floor called Nightmare Hall. Oh, this that one gets real
1: crazy. If you've ever watched uh, the Drew Carey show, remember Ryan Stiles worked at the kind of funky lab and occasionally there would be a uh, an octopus chicken of something right yeah. in the hall. We're not kidding. We've heard stories similar to that. Now, those are seemingly greatly exaggerated, of course, but those are being propagated. Go so that, one's, that one is a crazy one. If you uh, heard Bill Burns' interview, remember UFO Hunters? He had yes. a very popular show, ran yes. two seasons. They proposed to do Dulce Base, which means sweet in Spanish, I believe. Dulce. Yeah. So, but uh, nothing sweet about this place. They were canceled. Yes. Unexpectedly. And he said, I don't know what happened. We had great ratings. Uh, the show was popular, and suddenly they proposed that as the next topic. Word gets up the chain. That's what he thinks is that somebody just pulled the plug. S-canned it, and then uh, can't cancel
2: us. We're a podcast. <laughs> well, please you, don't come after us. Anyway. No, yeah. yeah. We, By the we, way, all you have to do is call and say don't do it. We'll be yeah. fine with it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll find. Please other, don't cancel yeah. me. <laughs> <laughs> exactly,
1: exactly. We will find other means uh, to to do something else. Guess but, who owns the
2: Reading Warrent now? Guess who owns it?
1: Uh, Mister Bigelow. No. Oh. The Utes. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. well, maybe they'll, so, they'll
2: get the resort going again. Well, I'm just, there's a lot of connections. But I yeah. mean, they're all through that area. But Southern Colorado is ground zero for cattle mutilations in the country. Well, and this is right yeah. in the middle of that. And then it's all connected to that. So anyway, yeah. enough with that. South it's a little Park, bit, other Yeah, than just mentioned. That's yes.
1: why they chose Trey Parker. Matt uh, Stone chose that area because we were talking about like funky legends when you were a kid growing up. For them at South
2: Park. That's where all the
1: abductions and the mutilations and all that kind of business was happening.
2: I just want to come back to the Carpenter affair briefly here. We have a a document that one of the ARC members put together, and I wanted to read some of the stuff that's in here. While Carpenter acknowledged he was provided cash from Bigelow on multiple occasions and that he delivered abductee information to Bigelow, Carpenter denied that any of his former clients were hurt in any way. Additional remarks of potential interest from Carpenter included stating that other researchers of alien abduction were approached with the same proposal as he and that some of them may have also shared their data. So Gary Hart is the one that really started to look into all of this stuff that we mentioned earlier. He's an investigative journalist, correct? Yeah. Hart stated that he had supplied MUFON with raw evidence so they could do their own investigation, talk to the witnesses, and make a timeline, et cetera. He said that he felt it was their job to investigate it and not his, and that they were in a position to uphold their own ethics policy. Hard explained, quote, immediately after filing my MUFON complaint, I was told in no uncertain terms that MUFON had no intention of taking the complaint seriously and actually doing an investigation. So I investigated the case further and made a proper report complaint to the state licensing board. He really went after this because he felt that there was unethical behavior and improprieties. Well, and, it's people's you know, medical
1: information to a degree.
2: Yeah, there was a particular abductee whose name is mentioned. I'm not going to mention it here, but who I guess was all wrapped up in this. And she was, you know, devastated that the information from her hypnosis oh. sessions with Carpenter was shared. Yeah, with someone she didn't even know, much less this reclusive Howard Hughes type billionaire, right? Who is obsessed with alien abductions? And by the way, yeah. Hart also seemed to think that Bigelow might be a pawn of the government and not even know it. So, yeah, of course, that's, let's talk about Howard Hughes. I read his autobiography. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of fascinating stuff about him. He routinely worked to develop things for the government in secret, including the Glomar Explorer, which was a ship that was supposed to look like a drilling vessel, and right. when in reality it was built to secretly recover a submarine from the bottom of the ocean floor. Ah, uh-huh. And so this kind of stuff happens, and it happens with people in the position that Bigelow's in. I'm not casting aspersions on Bigelow's character. I think he actually seems like a pretty cool, mysterious guy, and I love that the world has people like that in it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot to consider with respect to some of these allegations. On the other hand, he seems to be a hard-nosed businessman who is interested in acquiring all the most current information he can as quickly as he can so that he may further investigate UFO sightings and other paranormal happenings. Right. Well, I look at it this way. He's still a private citizen,
1: a businessman, and whatever the government has, and certainly they've got the treasure trove. They're kind of like the Vatican in this case. Uh, They've got the secret holies of holies locked away somewhere if they do it all. So he's not going to get at that. But what can he do? He can set up his own institution. There's no laws against that. So you look at it, if he is a pawn, I don't believe that they're sharing information from him. Maybe they're pulling information from Bigelow. Now,
2: well, on the other hand, I'm guessing they have their own information. Right. And a lot longer than he has. Well, they certainly could swoop in and get a ranch if they wanted it. it wouldn't, yeah, I mean, was, they could still take it with eminent domain. Exactly. And yeah, just it, take it. Right. And another, they already took it from the Utes. But anyway. <laughs> exactly. So. Well,
1: another thing that John Alexander said, because he was asked in the interview, Do you think that there's been any military or government meddling, any kind of collusion involved? And he said, well, no, why would they care? Why would they care? It's a good point because do they care about people's hypnosis sessions, Yeah, about woo-woo kind of stuff? No, if he had— Well, you're
2: talking about the same organization, you know, by organization I mean the U.S. government, that pursued remote viewing with great fervor. For their own purposes,
1: when they had a specific goal, and then they eventually gave that up. Yeah. So they have mild interest, but the point is, is, that they did their own research. Right. They didn't set up another institution because if they're gathering info, they want total control over that. They didn't want. want oh, this passed through the hands of MUFON, so there's copies and and whatnot. They're going to get their own doctors, scientists. Oh, here data, come the choppers, <laughs> the, the black <laughs> helicopters with the rotors. Yeah. It doesn't seem likely that they would need him to tap into stuff that they've already been experiencing and cataloging. And if you believe the UFO believers, then they've been doing this for years. They have a lot more information than he does. So there's no reason for him to want to collude with them.
2: All right. We got one more really great story from the ranch, and then we're going to go to our conclusions and wrap this up as soon as we hear a couple of messages from our last two sponsors of the evening. Remember that skinwalking man beast with the blue and white checkered shirt that jumped out of the ravine and scared that poor family driving through the Navajo res? How could I forget? You know what would have made that situation a lot less scary? Well, do tell. If he'd have been wearing a custom fit suit from Indochino. In fact, if they'd have had a tape measure, they could have hopped out right there and taken his measurements to send into Indochino so he could be on his way to getting his own made to measure suit in just four weeks. That's actually a great
1: idea. They also could have just loaned him an iPad or something for a few minutes, and he could have picked from their hundreds of fabrics and patterns right there on the side of the road, you know, provided he could get a signal or something.
2: So (laughs) that way he could get something that he would feel he looked marvelous in. Well, maybe that's why he was so upset in the first place. It's like the Incredible Hulk. Every time you shift, things get torn up. He probably just wanted a decent new outfit. How excited would he have been to pick his customizations out? I feel like he might have gone with the old-fashioned wider lapels. (laughs) And, of course, a monogram that says, I skinwalk. (laughs) Well, (laughs) every man looks better in a suit, Scott. Even a skinwalker. That's so true. Indochino is one of the largest made-to-measure menswear brands, and they're making it easy to get great-fitting, high-quality suits and shirts at an incredible price. Visit Indochino.com or drop by one of their nine North American showrooms. Once you submit your body measurements, and be sure to be in your human form when taking these, you can kick back, relax, and get ready to step into the best, most stylish suit you've ever worn in just four weeks. Today our
1: listeners, including skinwalkers, get any premium Indochino suit for just $389 at Indochino.com when entering the code LEGENDS at checkout. That's 50% off the regular price for a made-to-measure premium suit. Plus, shipping is free, and your satisfaction is guaranteed or your
2: money back. That's Indochino.com, promo code LEGENDS, for any premium suit for just $389 and free shipping. You'll never have to worry about badly fitting suits or expensive trips to the tailor again. Get ready to look like a million bucks. You know, the older I get, the more quality becomes a priority
1: in my life, over quantity. Oh, I know what you mean. You know, when I was a younger lad, I just wanted stuff,
2: all kinds of stuff. Yeah, because when you're a kid, it's all about how much of something, right? But now I just want it to be good, which is why I'm such a huge fan of Blue Apron. Well, absolutely. We've talked about how
1: Blue Apron's mission is to make incredible home cooking accessible to anyone, really.
2: And by anyone, they mean people like Forrest and I. (laughs) That's true. We just love it. The meals come out great. It's a lot of fun to make the recipes, and anyone can do it. Not only that, but I just feel good about what
1: I'm eating. Their seafood is sustainably sourced under standards developed in partnership with the Monterey Bay Aquarium Seafood Watch. Beef, chicken, and pork comes from
2: responsibly raised animals. So this is a quality product brought right to your home. Blue Apron can be delivered to 99% of the continental U.S., and Blue Apron ships the exact amount of each ingredient required for a recipe. You won't fill your cabinets with a bunch of spices you'll never use again. So, as Scott mentioned, for less than $10 per meal, Blue Apron delivers seasonal recipes along with pre-portioned ingredients to make delicious home-cooked meals. Whether it's Japanese ramen noodles, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, or heirloom tomatoes, Blue Apron is bringing you the best. There's no weekly commitment, so you only get deliveries when you want them. It's so easy and fun to make. My son helps me all the time. He loves it. Each meal can be prepared in about 40 minutes or less. Take it from Scott and I, this is a wonderful service. Check out this week's menu and get
1: your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com
2: astonishing. You'll love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron, so don't wait. That's blueapron.com slash astonishing. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. We're back. Okay. I want to tell one of my favorite stories from the ranch. And I got this one from Hunt for the Skinwalker, which is the book that we've mentioned numerous times. In this story, it starts with an investigator who is unnamed. and There are some people online who are pretty sure they know who it is, but they continue to protect whoever this person is. And he goes in the book by the pseudonym Jim. Yeah. And he was one of the most prominent investigators that was working at the ranch. Working for NIDS? Working for NIDS under Bigelow. After the Shermans had moved away, but Terry was still coming there daily to supervise it. Jim had noticed over the years that meditation did seem to sometimes spur events, much like the story we told you at the top of tonight's episode. and crop circles. Yes. And according to the book, it wasn't all the time. It was just enough to be anecdotal. But he decided that he was going to go and sit down in this field and (laughs) do some meditating. So, which I think at this particular ranch takes cojones. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know what you're going to get. You don't know yeah. what you're going to get. So he sits down. He does some meditating. Nothing happens. I think he meditated for like an hour or something like that. Yeah. The next day, he comes back with another investigator named Mike. I'm not sure these are real names with either one of these two guys. But they both worked for NIDS. They're both scientists. One of them is probably a physicist. Who knows? The guys go down to where Jim had meditated before, and they decide they're going to observe from a safe distance that area that night and just see if they see anything. They've got a camera. They're setting up gear. They're already, as scientists are, want to be able to measure anything that might occur. As they're settling down, they notice down in the area very close to where Jim meditated, in fact, the exact spot where he meditated the day before, there's a little yellow light. So this light starts to appear, and they're looking at it, trying to figure out what it is. And he's like, look, there's an orb or a ball of yellow light down there. It's like a dirty yellow light. And they can't figure out what it is. So Jim is looking at it through the binoculars. Mike is next to him, and they're trying to ascertain what's happening. And then he notices that this light is expanding. This is in the evening. It's dark, right? Yes. Yes. And it's getting bigger and bigger. And he starts describing it to Mike. He's like, no, it's getting larger It's getting much, much larger. And then he starts to really freak out. And Mike's like, what? What's going on? He goes, it's not a ball. It's not a ball at all. It's some kind of tunnel. It's turning into like a tube or a tunnel of some kind. It's off the ground. It's not on the ground. It's a few feet above the ground, like it's floating. And I can see that it's a tunnel. Wait, the Terminator? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, not, not, you laugh, yeah. but yeah. it's, it's a little similar. Yeah, well, that was uh. a sphere, wasn't it? It was. It was no. a ball.
1: And then remember, it widened to take out some chain link fence yes. in the original
2: and a little bit of pavement. Yes. Continue. Okay, so yeah. I, for this part of this, I want to um, read this little section from Hunt for the Skinwalker. Jim looked carefully at the light below. It had now expanded to more than two feet. Something that big should definitely register on his film. Oh, my God. Mike said suddenly, thoroughly frightened. There's a black creature climbing out. I can, I can see his head. Jim felt alarm. His companion was plainly bordering on panic. It has no face, whispered Mike. Oh my God, it, it, it just climbed out. Jim rubbed his eyes and shook his head. All he could see was a dirty yellow light, now about four feet in diameter, a hundred feet below him. Why couldn't he see what Mike was seeing? Suddenly it dawned on him, the binoculars. He motioned for Mike to hand them to him. But not before increasing the time exposure on the camera to 90 seconds, Mike ignored him. It's on the ground, he said. Oh my God, it walked away. So something uh, something got is into going our on world. here and I had Jim and Mike yeah. backwards there. Mike had the binoculars, not Jim right. It doesn't matter. It doesn't They're matter. not even real <laughs> names. but <laughs> right. point is, They watched this ball of light turn into a tube, and then a black, faceless creature jumped out of it onto the ground and walked away, and then the tube closed up. Where is he going? And on top of that, it (laughs) happened right above the spot where Jim had meditated the day before. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. And this is kind of where I'm going to start getting into my conclusions, if that's okay with you. Perfectly fine. We've seen that there's the portals. Terry has seen the portals, the orange window that opens up and the black craft flies out of it, or he sees sky through it. Yes, people have reported that, blue sky, which, thinking about it, it's like, is that our blue
1: sky? Is that the blue sky of another dimension? Right. Yeah. Well, I think he saw it at night. Right. Is that, uh, is something lighting up so bright, like the sun, it's illuminating? It's hard to
2: imagine. It's hard to picture. But the idea, though, is that you're looking at something that's not usually there. It's crazy. And I guess when I try to think about what is going on at Skinwalker Ranch, and for me, it is further validated as actual events happening by the fact that Bigelow purchased it and tried to study it. It's just not something that you would spend time and money on if it was all a bunch of who? Right. The one debunker
1: line would be like, well, they were all mistaken. This is all natural phenomenon that the average person doesn't know what they're talking about. Okay. Well, these are not average people. These are scientists. Right. These are PhDs. Exactly. Authorities in the field of paranormal research or at least people who have skills, academic skills. Okay. So it's not just a bunch of enthusiasts out there with their night vision goggles. Observing these things and taking note and trying to do it as scientifically as they can. So to say that they don't know what they're talking about or don't know what they saw doesn't hold
2: water for me. Well, I have a couple of theories about it. And the thing that freaks me out the most is the possibility of what is referred to as a traversable wormhole, which is a connection from one dimension to another that theoretically – could exist. Well, theoretical physicists take wormholes very seriously. Yes, they do. And apparently Robert Bigelow does too. It's not like you can throw a net over a wormhole, but (laughs) you can possibly draw some kind of conclusions about the fact that they're appearing in the same place over and over at this ranch. Well, they're partially observable, but let me ask you this. I don't think anything turned up on that film, did it? No, it didn't. Yeah. Just a little light. Yeah, so
1: inconclusive. Exactly.
2: Again, inconclusive. I feel like something is controlling a gateway on that land and has been for thousands of years, or you wouldn't have all the Ute lore. And I think that whatever it is, it is aware of us. It is capable of being a trickster for us. Right. I think it's also possible that some of the animals in the area are wandering, I joked about it earlier, (laughs) wandering in and out of... A parallel dimension. <laughs> well, Or some yeah. other place. Well, something with a little more purpose. Again, a lot of people believe
1: this, and you don't have to out there, but a lot of people do. Bigfoot is wandering aimlessly
2: in and out, or maybe even knows where he's going. And it's funny that Stranger Things is such a hit right now, because oh, yeah. it deals with this kind of topic. A portal breach. A portal breach. And yeah, we there's don't it, want to be yeah. spoilers if you haven't seen it. No, no, It's no. on Netflix. Check it out. A listener
1: wrote in, and there's another Stephen King short story, Buick 8. Yes, is that the name of it? Yeah, like, that was yeah, the name of I it. I glanced yeah. over. Yeah, it's been around in uh, in sci-fi for quite a long time. Obviously, look if you take all these things as being observed and noted by rational people who are used to seeing like this, they're not freaking out. It's not the planet Venus they're taking notes on on exactly what they're seeing it's so varied that i believe that there's a bunch of different things going on and, and going to your point some of it could be random like animals yeah, well, wandering if, in animals coming back later different
2: yeah well it's like these giant wolves maybe they come from another planet well yeah or yeah. Another, another
1: place another another place another dimension as the uh, the anasazi the belief that this portal was not another place out in the heavens out at you know alpha centauri somewhere is that it was here overlapped with our own world just a millimeter away a frequency away but here so it could be accessible but again it's a journey you're not being shot star trek wise through a wormhole and you pop out in another galaxy it's very close it's, it also reminds me of uh, australian aboriginal customs and they're very fascinating ways of belief and that they believe that there's a dream time that there is an overlay of another reality atop of this. And they, like, the, the uh, ethnologist would be talking to them and they say, like, well, it's over by that tree over there. And so I don't see a tree. He's like, no, 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 mate, that's dream time. There's a tree over there. They had it all mapped out. Right. To native peoples, these are very common beliefs and ideas, not all that strange. Getting back to these animals, like you were saying before, like maybe they wander out and they've been altered. Right. Who knows? There's an endless possibility of combinations. And as we've seen from these stories, an endless combination of different types of creatures going on. But one thing I kind of wanted to mention before I forget was the incident that Gwen saw, because I take little bits of information here and there and try and piece something together, what's going on. And to your idea that this is some kind of weirdo theme park of sorts for
2: various dimensions, yeah, it's a, it and could beings. be a tourist. It could be you know, like it, south of the border in South Carolina. <laughs> Everybody gets a comes back and they get a bump sticker. you know why? I, Pop- I I visited the next dimension at Skinwalker Ranch. I
1: was at and Beer in, in, in the 11th dimension. Yeah. You're talking about the ugly uh, Alpha Centurions or the reticulans. Yeah, the ugly
2: Zeta Reticulans. Zeta Reticuli- Because, you know, just like we're the ugly Americans, we go over yeah. to take a picture of us pushing over the Leaning Tower at Pisa. And, yeah,
1: they come over here instead of cow tipping, they're turning them inside out and coring them. But, it, it, <laughs> but you know, messing up people's equipment and stuff and probably leaving some kind of trash. Although, yeah, we would love very, to get some of that. Uh, Zaphod Beeblebrox. Rocks kind of. Yeah, it is. You know. it's, it's crazy sounding. But yeah. that one instance that Gwen had mentioned, and you probably know a little, you're more fresher to this story, but I love this one as well. She saw that it was a trailer looking. We were talking about the large, big refrigerator type. Yes. Craft. Yes. She saw something that looked like a small trailer, right? Out in the field. Yeah. She thought it was an RV.
2: Exactly. In the window, she sees a guy wearing what looks to be some kind of spacesuit with like headgear, maybe hoses, and the guy that left behind the 18 inch footprints where the heel was like a spherical. Yeah, a, a,
1: Yeah, a bit of the uh, Spring Hill Jack from the other side. Right. Leaving yeah, a because the, the, the tracks the, that he yeah.
2: left were mechanical in nature.
1: Yes, yeah, round some kind of something strange. It's a good callback. So, Matt. but he's sitting at a desk. It appears that she can make out wearing a helmet, wearing some kind of suit. So is he a scientist? From the other side, studying what's going on here. Yeah. He's sitting at a desk. It sounds like he's doing work. It like he's also taking readings like, oh, well, there was the, uh, the half man, half world hybrid beast. Right. Just appeared at, at this certain time. So there's so many things going on here. But you can only wonder is there some intelligence on the other side? Well, there has to be because of the way that these things interact. Right. These very well-educated people and trained scientifically,
2: there is something missing with us that it can think. well sentient and and smart and precognizant. One of the most important takeaways, I think, from our coverage of the Skinwalker Ranch, which is this is something that Marie said in the Astonishing Research Corps, is that orbs are jerks. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they... (laughs) Yeah, especially the blue ones. Well, they, well no, yeah. I don't know. The orange ones melted the dog. So or, no, I thought that was a blue oh, one that a with, blue it, with one a too. swirling
1: blue liquid in it. Yeah, that world just operates as it does. Things eat each other. You know, the, yeah. uh, the it's in the my giant, nature. Yeah, the, <laughs> the giant dire wolf is going to grab, try and grab a calf after he hypnotizes you. Okay, so in talking about Chris Cogswell, one of our two resident scientists, the other one being Devin, who is actually an applied physicist and probably should have talked to him before this, but <laughs> we ran out of time. And we're not going to get too deep into it because it's it's kind of simple, but it's also kind of heavy stuff. But the term here that's important that keeps coming up again and again in this field, in this genre, is the grand unified theory of the paranormal. One idea that brings together all these wacky things like Bigfoot and orbs and poltergeists and UFOs and shadow people, blah, 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 and Undred Cold and all that kind of good stuff. There's got to be one reason because they are all a lot of the time seen together. The most common one is a lot of people see Bigfoot with UFOs. That's are right. Are they driving them? Is it Chewbacca?
2: Who knows? Right. So one, it's the same thing yeah, with the Mothman story which we're going to absolutely. be covering for Halloween. When they made the movie, the Mothman story was actually very watered down from what actually happened. Absolutely. Yeah. There were men in black, there were UFOs, there was the Mothman, injured there were interdimensional beings. Yes, Indrid Cold. So and we're going to get to all that in yeah. just a few weeks. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But yeah, it's the thing is it it doesn't necessarily make a good story just kind of like, you know, part 2 of this of this series seemed to wander around a bit. What happens is, is when we retell these stories—not just us, but people yeah. in general—when they tell the stories of the paranormal, they want to turn it into a Shakespearean typical story, <laughs> yeah, you know, beginning, three-act structure, beginning, no. at, yeah, and with a certain type of focus to it. Yeah, we're sorry because it's just a bunch of stuff that happened. Yeah, it's not necessarily <laughs> yeah. the reality of what's being experienced. So, to your point about the grand unified theory, it takes into account the fact that a lot of these things do occur or seem to occur. Together, Exactly.
1: Yes. And some kind of connection, whether you're kind of consciously looking for it or not. So what this is getting at, it's not really exactly the same model that's used uh, based on the standard model of how we understand the universe and particle physics. But what it's talking about is one theory, one idea, one source of information that would explain why all this crazy stuff is happening, who's behind it, what forces are happening. So just very basically, yeah, the grand unified theory in particle physics is three forces coming together. You have your electromagnetic force, you have your gravitational force, and then on the molecular level, you have your weak and strong forces. So now the problem is three of these can come together that they know of at very high energy levels, very high temperatures, millions of degrees, except for gravity and so that's the bugaboo, is that uh, it does not seem to exist. Mathematics can figure out that gravity is predictable as to how it works, but we don't really know why it works. Kind of like this. We we know these things are happening. Some of it's measurable, but we don't know why. Who is doing this and why? Why are there walking wolfmen about doing all kinds of strange things? So, taking that to the next level, then what you get, is that if you can explain gravity and tie that in with the other three forces in the standard model of how we understand the universe, then what you get is the unified field theory, or what everyone calls the theory of everything. And so here we are. This is the, the grand poobah. If we could figure out how these wormholes are happening, and to that degree, there's two theoretical models That have been bandied about. So one is supersymmetry. I'm not going to explain that now. (laughs) The (laughs) second one we've talked about already is the multiverse. Right. And again, Brian Greene, one of my favorites, Michio Kaku. They're big proponents of this. And a very easy way to think about this and an explainer of the wormhole. So imagine that our universe is a bubble and it gets rid of some of the problems that Einstein had. So basically, Big Bang, we live in a bubble that's expanding. You had asked earlier – How is that our universe has no center and really kind of no edge of of sorts? Well, from an explosion, all the particles should be emanating from this expanding equally. And what physicists have noted is that they don't seem to be expanding, coming out from one central point. Everything's expanding from everything else equally. So that screws that up. So that means there's no center. What does that mean? Well, then if you think of our our universe as a bubble— There are an infinite amount of other bubbles and universes. And if they come together, we're on the skin of one bubble. That's where we live. We come in contact with the skin of another universe's bubble, and there's a tunnel. There's a tube of sorts, what scientists call a wormhole. So it's not pseudoscience in a way. People think, oh, this is all bunk. This is is not scientific. How can you study this? Well, don't think of it that way. This is theoretical science. And who knows, maybe in a hundred years, maybe in a thousand years, we'll have figured this out and we'll be the ones traveling to other sides. And messing with people's cameras. And you (laughs) putting on furry suits and messing with Hunter's game cameras, which is a great one now. It looks like a big hairy arm. I sent you that clip. Yes. Uh, Who knows what that is? Yeah. So here's the second point, which kind of leads to what something Chris Cogswell was saying on his own podcast, the Mad Scientist podcast, which is, it's terrific. It's so fascinating, but I have a lot of trouble cooking Blue Apron and listening to that at the same time because it's, you have to pay attention. He lays it all out. There's a lot of detail there, but I love that. So in any case, in one of his podcasts, he was saying like, you know what? When it comes to ghosts and all this paranormal, baloney, Bigfoot, let's apply scientific principles to it. Let's use the scientific method. Let's have double-blind studies. Let's approach this with the right scientific mindset and really get the heart of this really figure it out. And there might be a problem with that, because I think in this case, I really do believe this, to a certain degree, as much as it could be, it's been done. NIDS did go in there as much as they could and tried to document stuff as best they could. And again, we have a lot more fancy toys now, ghost e-meters and spirit boxes, all kinds of crazy stuff, but that's just one aspect of it. And if you're looking at capturing UFOs, Who knows what you're going to need? But what I'm saying is I think that they at least tried to record and collect the data in a scientific method and approach it scientifically, and you didn't end up with much. So my point to Chris's idea is that maybe it's not allowed. Maybe it's the scientific method cannot be applied for whatever reason to this problem or sets of problems, if you want to look at it scientifically. So then you have the, why not? That's the question. Well, one maybe they're not allowed. Maybe it's against the rules. Whose rules is is it against? We don't know. And two, maybe they just don't want us to quantify them.
2: (laughs) Well, that's going to wrap it up for tonight. We'd like to thank our sponsors, The Great Courses Plus, Stamps.com, Indochino, and Blue Apron. You can now find easy links to all of their offers at astonishinglegends.com slash sponsors. Next week is a dark week for us, but we'll be back the week after that with a new show. Our show is edited by Sarah Voorhees, and the theme is by Judson Crane. Sound design is by Ryan McCullough. Special thanks to The ARC and its lead researcher, Tess Feifel. But most importantly, we want to thank our
1: listeners. You can find us online at astonishinglegends.com as well as Facebook patreon twitter tumblr google plus and instagram copyright scott philbrook and forrest burgess good night
0: your total wine and more store is ready to serve you with our always low prices on an incredible 8,000 wines and 2,500 beers